Welcome to the Gentle Counselor Podcast, episode number 19. My name is Crystal and I'm the creator of The Gentle Counselor, where I provide online resources to support the mental health and well-being of parents and children. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest, Tonya Crombie from Guidance for the Future, who is going to be talking to us today about stop worrying about your anxious child, tips for managing your child or teen's anxiety. So Tonya is a coach and she coaches parents of anxious kids so that they can relax and enjoy being a parent again. She has her PhD in psychology and she's a certified life coach. However, those are just her credentials and education. She does do the work because she's a mother of a beautiful, perfect, anxious child. Despite her years of education and training, she made countless mistakes when her child's struggles were at their worst. She talks about how she's learned many lessons the hard way, and her work is driven by her desire to help other parents figure things out more quickly and easily than she did. So welcome to the Gentle Counselor podcast, Tonya. Thank you, Crystal. I'm so thrilled to be here with you this morning. Oh, it's morning for me. (laughs) Yes, in Australia, it's nighttime at the moment. It's always fun doing these podcasts um, on different sides of the earth. So let's start off by talking about what does mental health and well-being mean to you? Well, mental health and well-being are just facets of being human. Um, it's no different in my mind than mental health and, well, and well-being. Um, so as you just said, I talk about anxiety. Um, and one of the things whenever I speak to any audience, especially an audience of, say, teenagers, which I sometimes do, I'm, I will repeat over and over and over again that anxiety is a normal part of being human. Um, it's not something we need to hide. It's not something we should be ashamed of. And I actually believe having, as you just mentioned, I have gone through some hard times with my own teenager with her struggles with anxiety. So I came to see that the stigma that surrounds being anxious or feeling anxious actually contributes to anxiety. So our mental health and well-being, to me, it just means that we're embracing all of it, the good parts, the bad parts, just the full range of emotions. And acknowledging that that's normal. It's normal sometimes that we're going to feel anxious um, and we can survive those, those anxious feelings. That's another key part of understanding how we work as human beings. Sometimes we feel anxious, but that's okay. It's normal and, and we can get through it. I really like your take on it because often I talk with parents about how there are no good or bad emotions in the sense that, like you said, all of it is normal and it's all part of our shared experience of being human. So we really do need to embrace feeling every single feeling that we get to have. And I guess that's also part of stopping the stigma of mental health is recognizing that we do feel anxious at times and that this can be quite a normal experience for some. And like you said, we can get through it and we can figure out ways to survive it. 
Exactly. But the worst thing is having this because, you know, depending on the numbers you see, some people say that it's as as much as a third of the population are walking around feeling really anxious and at the same time telling themselves there's something terribly wrong with me for feeling this way, something I'm broken inside because nobody else feels this way, even though it's the most common disorder out there among kids and adults at this point, I think it's past depression. Yes, it really is some scary statistics out there that are coming out now, but it's also just highlighting how, how long have, have we all been feeling this way? You know, this isn't anything new. This isn't, hasn't just appeared in 2020. This has been around for a while. It's just that now people are starting to finally open up and talk honestly about it. And we're finally starting to highlight the need for better resources for everyone as well. Oh, I think you're right. That's a great, it's there. If there is an upside to seeing how bad it is, it is the fact that it's starting to normalize and people are getting the help that they need. Right. And on that note, is there a mental health concern that you have currently? Um, well, I did not realize my own struggles with anxiety until my child struggled and I found myself in a, um, a cycle where her anxiety was causing me to panic and to be anxious, which was, you know, a, a very vicious cycle. And then when that started to happen, of course you do, when your child has any illness or um, struggles, you reflect and think, you know, have I always been this way? who else was this way? And it started to become clear that um, several of my family members struggled with anxiety. And I didn't have the language to call it that when I was young, but in hindsight, that was exactly what was happening. Um, so yeah, that anxiety seems to be our, our family um, gift, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Right. And I would think that would make sense as well if if you're, you pick up on that as a child as well, when people around you are anxious. And so, yeah, like you, you're saying that can be passed down through generations, surely, because that can be through how they're parenting or that can be part of the dysregulation. And there's so many factors that can go into it. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I, I tend to think in, in our family, we are a little more, the way I describe it when I'm talking to people, I will say things, especially because I have one child who struggles and one child who doesn't. And I'll say, and I never want anyone to walk away from a conversation with me thinking I'm saying I have one good child and one child who isn't perfect. I have two ch children that are exactly who they are supposed to be, built exactly how they're supposed to be, one of whom is a little more reactive and has been reactive since she was born. And it's been in every single way. You know, she was the baby who went from happy to starving in five seconds or needed a nap and you knew it right then. So she's just reactive and reacts to her environment. And my other child tends to be a little less reactive, but he has his own issues in other ways. Um, and if we kind of look at it like it's just how she's made that she's going to have bigger reactions. She has high highs and low lows. Um, 
it's, I think that again, that's all this, like taking the stigma out of it and normalizing it and just accepting. Some of us tend to react to stimuli a little bit more strongly and quickly than others. Doesn't make us bad, doesn't make us wrong. It's just who we are. That's so true. And it all comes down to how we're all very uniquely made and things like temperament and our personality traits just come into that. And we can be so different, especially in one family dynamic, you can have everyone having completely different reactions. Like you're saying to different experiences or the same experience can still be completely different for two people. And it's really just highlighting the importance of understanding that we are different and there's nothing wrong with that. There's no clear cut way or perfect way to be a human. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I even take it a step farther and um, with so many of the clients that I, I work with so many, like my daughter, so many of her friends who talk to me about their struggles um, yeah, it's almost always also related to some of our greatest strengths. You know, kids that feel big feelings have some amazing strengths too. They are, um, they tend to be more empathic. They tend to be more aware of the feelings of others. Um, they tend to be very compassionate. And along with that tends to be the ability to pick up on your environment and what's happening in your environment and and it can make you feel anxious as well i i joke with my daughter about when i tell her you know this is how you're made i will also say something like and i don't think you'll ever be mugged because she has such a sixth sense about the vibe of a place that the she will never wander down a dark alley. It's just not in her makeup. She will be the one who's like, yeah, this doesn't feel right. I'm not going to walk down there. So there's, there's some benefits, even some gifts that come with having this temperament. You're so right. I was talking to someone the other day just about this and about fear even, because I think there's a book or a concept called the gift of fear. And it's pretty much talking about this sort of idea that it can help us in certain situations and it's a skill set really for some of us. Right. It's something that as I've told her, um, it is kind of your superpower and I would hate for you to start ignoring it. What you need to do is accept it's how you're made and to be aware of it when it starts triggering in you, when you start feeling that anxious feeling, that's when you start saying, huh, I'm, I'm feeling that thing that I do is happening. It's not good or bad, but it's happening. What am I picking up on? And she's told me examples of things like I was at the lunch table and one of my friends was really quiet and I could tell she was upset and I was starting to feel anxious because I was telling myself a story, as we all do, that she was mad at me. And once I was able to notice it, I'm just having this feeling and I don't know why she's that way. It could be anything. She could have made a bad grade on a test. She could have had a fight with her mother. It could have been anything. I was able to, you know, relax into it and just accept, oh, this may or may not be about me, but I'm not going to tell myself that story anymore. Right. And it only becomes an issue when it's sort of something that's out of our control or if we allow it to become 
uncontrollable, but I really like the work that you're doing because you're talking about how there's ways to accept it, but also to manage it and really honing into treating it like the gift that it can be when you can recognize it and go through that process of connecting the thought and the feelings and the behavior to it and really unpacking what's really going on rather than letting those anxious thoughts take over. Exactly. I mean, it's easier said than done, but with practice, that's exactly um, what I have had to teach myself to do. Um, and, and it has, it is life changing when you are able to start unpacking and start separating those thoughts and feelings. Right. And what better time to start than when you are a child or a teenager, because the sooner the better, really, because as we all know, as adults that, that are only just now discovering this and doing the work now, it, it is tricky. And so it's really important that we're teaching our children how to notice this and how to get through it. So, um, as I mentioned, there was a period of time in my own family where we were struggling. And what I like to tell people, what I, the way I, the analogy I like to use about a family, and it doesn't matter when you say a family, it could be, you know, a single mother and one child, or it could be a, you know, grandparents and a whole extended family. But that unit that is living together, interacting together every day, um, if one piece of that unit, it's like a car, if one piece of the car isn't working properly, then the whole car is in trouble. And that was the experience I had when my daughter was struggling. Um, the brakes on our car were not working and our car was skidding off the road. Is <laughs> how it kind of felt. And what I was not aware of as this was happening were the ways that my own anxiety and panic and fear were, were impacting her. So out of sheer desperation, not out of this brilliant insight, and you would think, Tanya, you have all this education, you have all this training, surely you knew what was happening. No, that's, that's another part of my story that I like to share with people so that, because I had a lot of guilt, and I know other parents have guilt sometimes about, I should have seen this, I should have reacted differently, I should have done things differently. And I like to say, look, I had a lot of advantages. If anyone should have known what was happening and should have known what to do, I probably should have, and I did not handle it well. I reached a point where I was just, like I said, my relationship with my other child was suffering because of how the things were going. My relationship with my spouse was suffering. I was not handling my own anxiety well. And so I just out of desperation said, I'm going to start doing the stuff I tell my clients to do. I'm going to start trying all these tools that I've been telling other people for years. Well, you ought to do this. And when I did, I was able to find a sense of calm within myself. I started doing, I mean, like when I say the stuff I tell my clients to do, I was started being compassionate towards myself. I started a meditation practice, um, lots of different things that I write about in my book, different things that I was just, I started doing and I started feeling better. And then the miraculous thing, as I started to just get a handle on myself, my daughter's mental health improved. 
my relationship with my other child improved, my relationship with my spouse improved, my home became calm again. So without really doing anything to my child, which is kind of a lot of what we often want to do, is I want to fix the thing that's broken, that other thing outside of me, by focusing on fixing me, um, I found that was the, the secret. <laughs> it was the secret to sort of um, breaking a cycle that had, had taken hold in the entire household. And that does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that I have like achieved a state of Zen and I am now like a, a Buddhist monk who never becomes angry. That is not the case. I am still a very normal person who loses my temper. I overreact to my kids sometimes. I react badly. Um, but now that I practice a lot more self-compassion than I used to, I don't have that voice in my head saying, you know, you're the worst mother ever. You stink. You, you should be so ashamed of yourself. Now um, the voice that I try to have be the dominant voice in my head is a voice that says, yeah, you screwed up you'll probably screw up again. That's okay. It's, we just start over. That's all you can do. And when I started talking to myself like that, I also started talking to my kids that way. That was another miraculous thing that happened by being kinder to myself. The dominant voice that comes out of me is also a lot nicer, a lot easier to live with. And it does make so much sense, doesn't it? That once we have started healing the, those parts of ourselves that we need to do, that it then has a positive effect on everyone around us, really, especially when it comes to your children and your partner. And I have a monthly membership called Gentle Motherhood, and this is the kind of work that we're doing and recognizing that it does start with us because it's sort of like that concept of you can't pour from an empty cup or you know, we all have our own traumas and our own inner healing that we need to do, but we also want to be able to role model that for our children and demonstrate to them how important it is that we're able to take care of ourselves as well. Absolutely. I, I mean, I think that the work that you do and the work that I do are probably very, very similar, Crystal, because that's, that's exactly it. Um, and it's, it is, like I said, it's kind of counterintuitive because when your child is struggling, um, it is both like it's innate nature in us to say, my child has a struggle. I must focus solely on that child. And it's sort of the model that we use is the model of my child has the flu. So I will take my child to the doctor. I will get my child my medication. I will make my child soup. And never once do we stop and think, what do I need for me? However, with the mental health struggle, um, it really, as you just said, it really does have to start with us. It is putting on that oxygen mask on ourselves so that we are able to care for our kids, even though it doesn't feel like that's how it should work. Um, that's exactly how it works. And the modeling is is so, so key, especially with teenagers, because teenagers, I say this all the time, as I'm a parent of two teenagers right now, teenagers do not do what we say, they do what we do. So when they see us, I even had a client say this to me once, because we were doing this sort of work, exactly like I'm talking about, 
And she said, my daughter doesn't know what's going on, but she knows something's happening. <laughs> it's almost like we're, we're tricking them. They don't, under, they don't know, but there's something different. Um, and eventually I do think they sort of have this, like, I'll have what she's having. I don't know what my mom's doing, but she's calmed down and she seems a lot more sane. Um, maybe, maybe there's something to what she's doing. And what were some of the things that you did or are still doing for your mental health or, or where did you find the most support along the way? Well, what I did, um, like I said, I really started taking my own advice and, uh, I started a daily meditation practice, which I have, have tried on and off for probably 10 years. Um, and I had a story, as many of us do, that I can't meditate. I'm not good at meditation. I'm not one of those kinds of people. You know, there's a lot of things that I had in my head about meditation. Because meditators, in my mind, are these really calm people who just are naturally like that, which I'm not. We've already talked about it. I have a, a tendency toward, towards being a little anxious I feel like I have the monkey mind. I'm always, um, you know, jumping from one thought to the next. And that seemed to be the opposite of someone who can meditate. So that my ability to meditate and my starting to practice some self-compassion went hand in hand. I just said to myself over and over, it's okay. You know, if all you do is sit here and think about what you're going to have for lunch today, that's okay. Just just give it a try and tomorrow we'll try it again and we'll just sit here. And that was really the breakthrough was allowing myself to be bad at it and just keep doing it. Even if I'm not good at it actually helped me get better at it in a, in a weird way. It's the opposite of what we think. Usually we think if we, you know, yell at ourselves and tell ourselves how stupid and ugly and fat we are, that somehow that's going to make us better when in the reality is, is just being nice to ourselves makes us a lot better. Um, so I, I started meditating. I started being nicer to myself. I started noticing the thoughts that I was having and, and asking myself, you know, what am I making this mean? Or, um, is that actually true? Um, and being, as we said at the beginning of this, teaching myself, as I said, to just be okay with the wide range of emotions that you're going to feel and not immediately assuming, wow, this is, this is scaring me or this is making me sad and that's bad. It was more of a, I'm feeling sad, which is a normal feeling and it's okay. I really like your perception on that because it's true. And when I think about it, that is really the point that you need to get to because it is something that takes a lot of practice. And I know I've struggled with anxiety and I in particular struggled with postpartum anxiety when I had my children. And it's just the more that you practice recognizing those thoughts, the better you get at being able to unpack it really quickly and simply to just think, okay, I'm just feeling upset right now because 
maybe I have an unmet need. Maybe I haven't had some time to myself today and I'm, I won't because the baby's going to be waking up because they're teething or whatever it may be. But then to accept that that's okay. It's just going to be happening right now. And it's not forever because often what would happen with me is I would get stuck in that feeling that it would be forever and that was never ending. But the truth is that, you know, the hard times when they're toddlers or the hard times when they're teenagers, it does pass eventually. And there's always new challenges in life, but we're never completely stuck in the one moment. And we always do have a choice, whether that's choosing a different thought or choosing a different action or whatever it may be that can help us in that moment to move through it and to move forward. There is always something that we are able to do. And like you said before, it is of course the easiest have been done, but sometimes I feel like we can get into that victim mindset where we think that things are happening to us. And it's really important to have that reframe of, okay, how is this happening for me? Or, or how can I gain some sort of control in this situation? Where can I focus my attention to get through this? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly right. And I love, I love that saying, how is this happening for me? Because that is a core part of my um, belief system as well, that, that um, even the, the worst lessons have been lessons. <laughs> they may not have been pleasant, but they have, um, you know, I feel like I am a fundamentally better mother and person because we have had some struggles in our family. Um, so there, there have been, there is some, some silver lining to a dark cloud. I think that's a perfect segue as well to my next question is what is something that you wish you could tell yourself during those dark moments? Yeah, just, I think those, um, those self-compassionate words that I've learned to say now, um, in the dark moments, like you said, you always have a choice. And even more important for me is because my, what my struggles tended to center around was that I've already done, I've already screwed up. I messed that up. I did this wrong. And you always get to choose again. So that was in the past. The past is in the past. You've got this moment right now. And now you get to make a new choice. And now you get to do better. And yes, I lost my temper and I yelled at the dog. And But right now, what do I want to do with this, this moment? Um, so that would probably be the, the thing I would tell myself, you know. And I would say it very, very nicely because that is, <laughs> that is what I've learned is to talk to myself like I would talk to my own children, like I would talk to my, you know, like a four-year-old sometimes and be like, sweetie, it's okay. Everybody screws up sometimes. And now we're just going to do, try something different. That didn't work out. So let's do something. Let's pick ourselves up and try something else. That really is the perfect thing to say. And I often like to think, how would I speak to a stranger right now? You know, because like the work that you and I do, we are often dealing with strangers in a sense, you know, people find us, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or wherever it is. Um, because that's the beauty of, you know, having the internet and being online right now, but often we can speak so cruelly to ourselves, and we would never speak 
that way to someone else. And it's just reminding ourselves to give some grace and treat ourselves like fellow human beings that deserve compassion as well. We deserve to give ourselves compassion. Absolutely. And like I said, it, it not only does it help me and make me feel better, I can hear that voice more often in the way that I speak to my two teenagers who also, if there's a time in your life that you need some grace, I would say those teen years, um, you know, they're sleep deprived, they're, they're going through these huge, their bodies are changing, their brains are changing, the world is changing. They need that grace too. And it's a, it's a beautiful cycle as opposed to the terrible cycle I was in before I learned some of these tools. You're exactly right. I think we often forget how hard it is to be a teenager. I still remember because that is when I went through a lot of my own personal challenges. And that's when I was um, diagnosed with depression when I was 14. And it was really hard being a teenager. And when you're in that headspace, because as you know, our brains don't fully finish developing until we're in our early 20s, um, everything feels like that's it you really can't see beyond when you're a teenager. You're just so in that world of school or um, socialization and friendships. And that's really what matters to you the most at those ages. And I think that's so beautiful that you're being that really important inner voice for your children by speaking that aloud for them when I'm sure they need to hear it the most. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And not to say, I always want to make sure that when I, talk about these things if I I do still get it wrong all the time <laughs> so I'm not a perfect parent but I am a you know I am conscious of and I'm conscious of because I do get it wrong and I have said over you know you get to choose again I apologize to my kids when I get it wrong because they need to see that we do get it wrong. Even parents, even adults who've got so much more experience, we all make mistakes. We all screw up. And when we do, um, we have the, we get to start again. We get to say, Hey, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. I reacted that way. Um, I'm sorry. This is, I'm modeling the, what you do when you screw up because we all do. I love that you said that. I often talk about that as well, where a perfect parent does not exist. You know, a, a perfect human being doesn't exist, especially when you're a parent. We are going to make mistakes because we're also figuring it out as well. <laughs> and our kids probably think we have it all together, but we really don't. And when you're coming at it from like a perspective, like attachment theory, that's rupture and repair. So part of the repair process is just it owning up to it admitting you were wrong and apologizing and that can be very healing in a relationship especially uh with your child and like you said it's so good to role model that to them and they're going to know how to deal with it to know that it's okay to make mistakes so that when they do it they can accept that but then also how to move forward from that is then you know owning up or apologizing or whatever amends need to happen so that's such good advice i really do love talking about this because for some reason people think that we're supposed to get it hundred percent correct all the time. And that's just, it's not possible. That's an impossible bar to reach. It absolutely is. And our, our teenagers definitely have those, that idea. Yes. That 
parents have everything figured out or, or, and then they have that sudden insight in, oh my gosh, my parents don't have it all figured out. And it's like a huge, um, you know, crushing belief system. And so I've tried to make it clear from fairly young, mom doesn't have it all figured out. And I say things like, you know what, guys, this is the first time I've ever done July 7th of 2020 never done July 7th, 2020 before. So I'm figuring this out as I go, just like you are. And I'll say that to them because I love that. It's kind of true. <laughs> That's so good. I love that. So we're coming to the end of our podcast episode now. Is there one last bit of advice or tip that you can give to our audience who are listening? Um, the Probably the best tip that I say to everyone is if you do nothing else that I've mentioned, but you start to simply notice what's happening, notice your inner workings, notice I'm feeling this way, notice I'm feeling upset, notice that act of noticing is, is like 90% of what, what the work we have to do. Because so much of what we tend to do is to go along, you know, not paying attention to what's happening. So if you can just just start noticing, noticing how you're feeling psychologically, emotionally, um, physically, we'd even ignore our physical sensations. You know, I'm hungry, my shoulder hurts or whatever. Notice that stuff. And you that act of noticing starts to change you. It really, really does. It brings you back to the present moment. It allows you to make a different choice in the moment. So, so that's my, like, I guess, simple, easy, you could do it right now tip is to just try and, and notice. I really love that advice. And you've given us so much goodness in this podcast. I can already tell it's a great one to listen back on. Are there any offers that you'd like to share that any listeners can go and find right now from you? I would love it if anyone who is listening is struggling to parent a perfect but anxious child as I have. Um, I would love to share a free downloadable copy of my book. I do have a book that will be in bookstores but it will not be there until early 2021. And so in the interim, I have a website where you can download it because I just want to get it into anyone's hands that it might be, it might help. So there's a website. It is from anxious to calm. And if you go there, you can get a free downloadable copy of my book. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Gentle Counselor podcast today, Tonya. And I'll make sure to have all of Tonya's links down below if you would like to check her out at Guidance for the Future. Her website is guidanceforthefuture.com and I'll leave all her social media handles like Facebook and Instagram down below. Thank you so much again, Tonya. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much, Crystal. I love talking with you late at night and early in the morning. (laughs) 